Hey, it's Brian, and before we get into things today, I wanted to let you know that this episode of Christmas Past kind of marks the end of an era. Since 2016, and over the course of more than 100 episodes now, you've heard me close things out each time by letting you know that Christmas Past is produced in sunny San Mateo, California. Well, this is the last episode where that is true. Even with everything else going on in the world right now, I've bought a new home and I'm moving there soon. So the next time you hear from me, I'll be signing off from somewhere else. Now I'm not going far, and if you want to find out exactly where it is, well then just check out the next episode and all of the ones after that. But all that aside, I hope that the month of May is treating you well. Even with all of our travel restrictions and stay-at-home orders, I hope that you're able to get outside and enjoy nature as long as you're following all of the common sense guidelines and treating the situation with the seriousness it deserves. A lot of quarantine fatigue is setting in, but now more than ever, it's important that we all stick together and do what's right for everyone. A lot of you have reached out to let me know how much you love it when we do these two truths and a lie games, and I don't need much arm twisting to do one of these because it's always a great opportunity to hang out with my fellow Christmas lovers and have some fun. This time I'm joined by Todd from Christmas Clatter, Carrie from Christmas Book Review, and Chris from Yuletide TV. Join us as we put each other's Christmas spirit and lie detecting skills to the test. I'll come back at the end to say goodbye, but for now, please enjoy another game of Two Truths and a Lie on Christmas Past. All right, Todd, you are first. All right, the first category I have is Christmas travel. In traveling for Christmas, Berlin, Germany is the number one destination for those seeking the most Christmas experience. For those trying to avoid Christmas during the holidays, Morocco is the city of choice, but for those trying to get all the Christmas feels, Leavenworth, Washington is consistently voted by traveling critics as the best Christmas town in the United States. Okay. Let's see. So the Leavenworth, Washington. Okay. So I do have a little bit of knowledge to help me guide in my decision-making and see, this is the eternal struggle of this game is you don't want to give too much away. And you also might want to try to throw your opponents off, but I do happen to know that Leavenworth, Washington is a very popular Christmas, almost like a Hallmark kind of town that's in the, you know, has like in the back of a mountain somewhere. Um, but is it the most, I don't know. Um, Morocco, interesting because you know christmas is celebrated in many many parts of africa and i could imagine christmas in morocco being awesome but is that just something todd made up Ooh, is that uh, an office cue maybe moroccan christmas from the office is that where he's coming from mm. oh i don't know but moroccan morocco makes me think of people gambling and not having children with them which I would think would be mm. good for people who are not that interested in Christmas. Okay, what was the first one, Todd? Um, <clears throat> traveling for Christmas to get the most Christmas experience. Berlin, Germany is the most popular destination. Okay, well that, um, man, all of those, uh, the only one that just sounds like it could be false is Morocco. But it doesn't really sound like it could be false because it could totally be true. It's just not something that rings true to me. I've never heard anything specific about it. So for that reason, I'm I'm voting uh, that Morocco is the false one. What do you think, Carrie? Hmm. I don't know. I've never heard of Leavenworth, Washington. Leavenworth sounds like 
Leavenworth, Kansas, and I think of jail instead of Christmas. <laughs> um, so I could totally see Germany because, you know, Christmas ornaments were started in Germany. I guess I'm going to go with Leavenworth being the wrong one. The lie. Okay. All right, Chris, what do you say? I think I'm going to go Germany just to, to get all our chips on the board. And I don't know, for some reason, that one, <laughs> that one just for a gut reaction, that one, that one struck me as wrong for some reason. I don't have any real reasoning behind it, but that's what I'm going to go with. Okay, so just to, to recap, we've really covered the spread here, right? Each of us thinks <laughs> one of them is the false one. And now, Todd, the big reveal? The big reveal? Well, Chris is the one that uh, got it correct. Germany is not the number one destination for people uh, seeking a Christmas experience. It's actually London, England. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. But was I correct, Todd, about Leavenworth, Washington being yes. a really... Yeah, yep. okay. Yep. I think I actually <laughs> shared something about that in the uh, Facebook group recently. And by the way, shameless plug, if you haven't joined the Christmas Past private Facebook group, now is as good a day as any to do that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I did send, put something about that. I read it maybe in um, yeah, TripAdvisor, Atlas Obscura, like one of those kind of things. Right. <laughs> All right, well, at, so let's see. We are one-third of the way through round one, and so far Chris is the only one with a point on the board, which means that it is our turn, Carrie and Brian's, to redeem ourselves as Carrie, or I'm sorry, <laughs> Carrie, you can't because it's your turn to nope. ask us a question. <laughs> my turn to fool you. Okay, so my first uh, question is about Little Women, since Little Women is a traditional Christmas story. I figured that would be a good subject. So just last year, this is the first first statement, just last year there were reimagining of little women involving one of the March sisters being gay, Marmy and Mr. March getting a divorce, and the March sisters growing up on a goat farm. And the second one is 35-year-old Louisa May Alcott was so uninterested in writing a book for girls that her first draft of Little Women was called The Pathetic Family. <laughs> and the third one is, there is a children's board book of Little Women illustrated by Edward Gorey. It is part of a series called Baby Lit Primers that includes Frankenstein, Pride and Prejudice, and Alice in Wonderland. Mm. Hmm. Now, so with the, these questions, there's... there's... Something that happens often where one of them sounds just too specific not to be true. And in this case, the one about the calling it the pathetic family, like it's it's one of those things. So for future games, everybody, if you really want to throw everyone off, make something sound super, super specific uh, because it usually it, it, that's how you trip me up anyway. But something about that sounds like it could be true enough um, only because... At that time, writing books for girls, I would just imagine like the state of the world back then is probably <laughs> true that like girls weren't seen as being supposed to read or, or things like that. Um, and there was another story I read recently that it used language that's very similar to what you're describing. Uh, not like the pathetic family, but it was something like that. That's like how you would describe like a family that was poor, you, like in those kinds of words. Uh, mm -hmm. That was a lot way before the time of like political correctness or just basic tact, I suppose. <laughs> so, okay. Now the first, the first one about with the uh, you know the reimaginings of like the characters' lives and like having mm -hmm. someone you know be uh, gay or that could be true. I mean, I I would just be guessing at that point. 
So I don't know, Todd, Todd and Chris, what are you guys thinking? I don't know. My my knowledge of Little Women is very lacking. Um, so mine would be a, a complete guess. I know there was a movie made last year that was mm-hmm. fairly popular and fairly well received, but I hadn't seen it to, to be able to tell if there was the reimagining and as far as you know what the title used to be or if it was or anything like that. Mine would be a st- uh, just a stab in the dark. I, I would probably guess the uh, calling it the pathetic family would be my guess, just because it. I don't know. Just seems seems like it didn't fit in in my opinion. And the thing with the Edward Gorey, if that doesn't exist, I really wish it did. That would be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, and see, that was what I thought with uh, with your note on specificity. That that third one with those children's books was really where I thought the specific details lied. Okay. So I think we all know which way we're leaning <laughs> and the time has now come mm-hmm. to lock in yeah. which one we're saying is the false one. Remember, I, I think the false one is the first one. Todd, what do you I'm think? Going, I'm going with the uh, pathetic family being false. Okay. That's the second one. Okay. Chris, what do you yeah. think? I'm also going to go with the first one. The goat farm pushes it over the edge for me. Okay. Carrie, great reveal. Da, 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 I fooled you all. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Ah. It was the third one. I also wish that was true, that there was a board book with Edward Gorey illustrating Little Women, but alas, it is not true. I don't think oh. board books were even a thing when uh, Edward Gorey was alive. Oh, probably. They could have made it into one after the fact. Um, Yeah, yeah, that's true. That would have been really cool. That's true. But yeah, it really is true that Louise May Alcott named her first draft The Pathetic Family. She wrote in her journal at the time, never liked girls or knew many except my sisters. (laughs) All right. So, Carrie, you've, you've done what few have done before you, which is to fool. I think only one person's ever done that before. So, and, it, and it is the Woo-hoo. only way that you can earn a point when it is your turn to ask a question. So well done there. All right. All right. <laughs> All right, Chris, destroy us. Okay, we're going to do Christmas TV for my uh, round here. And so mm-hmm. here we go. In a second season episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Sabrina accidentally injures Santa Claus, played by Cheers veteran John Ratzenberg, and it is up to her to save Christmas. In an episode of SNL from December 1998, then-cast member Jimmy Fallon joined host Alec Baldwin as the ghost of Christmas Future, and predicted he, Jimmy Fallon, would be the host of the 2011 Christmas episode of SNL, a prediction which came true. And you may know that the series finale of MASH is one of the most-watched television episodes of all time, but the second most-watched episode of the series was a Christmas episode called Death Takes a Holiday with 32.4 million viewers. Now, again, there's one of those that I do have a little bit of special knowledge on, which has to do with MASH, because MASH was one of my dad's favorite shows growing up, and we weren't allowed to talk when MASH was on. And <laughs> I, I do remember a MASH Christmas special. Now, does, does that mean it was the most popular uh, one? I, I don't know. Um, yeah. And let me see. The one about Saturday Night Live, 
I don't I don't recall. I, I mean, I'm sure that Jimmy Fallon was in a sketch with Alec Baldwin, and I'm sure he like right. couldn't keep from laughing the whole time because that dude was he was useless in every sketch yeah. he was in just completely useless could not keep a straight face um but that also sounds like it could be true sabrina the teenage witch i've never seen that my closest relationship to sabrina the teenage witch is that i said hi to uh, melissa joan hart when i was at the christmas con in uh, november <laughs> last year oh that's fun <laughs> <laughs> I so I I don't I'm just gonna throw a dart to make my guess. What do you guys think? Uh, yeah, mm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I remember I remember Mash growing up, but to to know to say I know a whole lot about it would be incorrect. But I don't know anything about Sabrina, Teenage Witch. That that one hit me as false when I first heard it, and then I heard the other ones. <laughs> like they're all plausible. <laughs> So, so uh, it, yeah, my, my for guess future games. Be, this yeah. this is another good strategy for future games right. is to make them all just seem like <laughs> you're right. Yeah, like they could be completely right. plausible. All completely yeah, plausible. right, right. But no, no, like nothing glaring about mm-hmm. any of them. They're all on an right. even keel. Right. Yeah, I I've seen. I am a Sabrina fan, um, and I think I've watched the second season, and I don't remember that uh, episode, but. Uh, again, I'm not 100% positive. And the same on MASH. I I also watched it with my parents. And uh, I remember there being Christmas episodes, but I sure don't remember the name of the episode. <laughs> right. Okay, here is um, just because it's time to vote. I, I'm going to say that it's the Jimmy Fallon one, um, only because it does seem weird that someone in a sketch would predict that they would come back to host the show for Christmas. I, I don't know. Like, I just, I don't, I've never seen that happen on Saturday Night Live in any other context. So for that reason alone, I'm going to guess that that is the incorrect one. I'm going to, I'm going to go with Sabrina uh, just because it, it's the, it was just my gut reaction and no other logical explanation other than that. All right. Carrie, what do you say? Yeah, I think I see what you're saying about the Jimmy Fallon sketch, but on the other hand, how many times has Alex Baldwin hosted SNL? <laughs> a oh, lot. Yeah, a lot. So statistically, I'm gonna think that one could be true. So I'm gonna go for Sabrina being the lie. All right. Well, Brian, uh, you have now had two in the same episode. I have blanked you all. It is actually the oh mash. The mash it is was mash. Oh, man. Is wow. uh, there? There is an episode of Mash that takes place at Christmas called "Death Takes a Holiday," but I have no idea how many people watched it or uh, where it would fall if you were ranking the episode series. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh wow. So I, I think we, we would classify that as like a borderline trick question because there was enough yeah. truth in it, but it was like the fine mm-hmm. detail. But yeah. anyway, well, well played because you you earned yes. a point for fooling us all. Okay, and yeah, my goodness, if we get three fool them alls in this one, that'll be a hat trick, and then I don't know what happens then. But 
But we're already in uncharted territory <laughs> with two fool em alls in one episode. And let's oh, see if man. we can make it three with my question for you guys about the Yule Log. Uh, so the Yule Log, of course, is one of those Christmas traditions that predates Christmas itself. That's why we call it the Yule Log and not the Christmas Log. And as you can imagine, <laughs> it's a tradition that comes with all kinds of superstitions attached to it. And so here's your first statement. According to one superstition, if the Yule Log did not catch fire on the first attempt to light it, it would bring bad luck to the whole house. Statement number two. It was once common to mix a small amount of the ashes of a burned Yule log into the batter of the Christmas cake for extra protection against evil spirits. And statement three, in some cultures, the Yule log was decorated with ribbons or foliage and sprinkled with wine before being lit. Wow, That's those all one. sound totally plausible. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> Can we vote plausible? <laughs> oh yeah, yes. this is not Mr. Carrie wants to play on, on a pass fail basis. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I feel like the first yeah. one is such a it just rings so much as a superstition. And the second one, I don't know why, but I feel like I've heard something about that before. For me I'm leaning mm -hmm. towards the third one a little bit. Okay. Right. That's that's the one that stood out to me. It it seems like the Seems like I've heard the mixing with the ashes and, and the cake and things like that before, and but I'm I'm I'll I'll, I'll go with the third one. It just seems like uh, decorating it and then pouring wine over it just to to set it on fire seems a little bit <laughs> wasteful. Hmm. And I'm gonna go with the second one because that is just disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> And I think the other two, I mean, all three of them sound plausible, but mm -hmm. at least the other two don't ruin your food. <laughs> okay. Are we locked right. in our votes? Yes. yes. And the answer was, it was number two. So Carrie gets a point. Oh, oh wow. yeah. well done. <laughs> yes, Carrie. And so the thing is, um, going to get a Yule log back in the day, it was this big ceremony. The whole family would go out. They'd chop down the tree. Uh, it was common to decorate it with either ribbons or some kind of foliage. Uh, they'd often put a rope on it and, and tug it home, and kids would ride on it. It was like this big ceremony, right? Uh, wow. And then they would take it in, and you would have to light it. And so when I heard that it was true that if it didn't catch fire on the first attempt, it would bring bad luck. It's like, how? How are you lighting this log? Like, it hasn't dried <laughs> out in any way. Like, I don't know how they were doing it. Um, uh, and there's all kinds of other cool Yule log trivia. Like, you know, before they didn't cut it down, uh, hearths back in those days were enormous. Uh, nevertheless, the Yule log, they'd just bring in basically the entire trunk of the tree and stick oh, one end of it into the hearth, and the rest of it would just oh be, like, God. in the living room. And that, that was how all that worked. <laughs> That's now, the thing safe. about putting some of the ashes into the batter, I think there's precedent for that elsewhere. I've heard um, oh. if you scrape some sand from, like, one of the bricks of the pyramids and put it in a loaf of bread, it's supposed to help with, like, fertility or, like, by superstition, of course. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. So stuff stuff <laughs> like that, like, it, you know, it does exist elsewhere, but, uh, but not in the case of the Yule log and putting it into the Christmas cake. So this concludes round one, guys, and... <laughs> Todd and Brian, that's me, uh, don't yet have any points. <laughs> yeah. um, Chris has two points, one for guessing one correct question and the other for uh, stumping us. And likewise with Carrie, she was correct once and stumped us once. Man. And so right. now we are moving into round two. Uh, so, so the total is, yeah, two points for Carrie, two for Chris. Todd and, and I uh, need to get ourselves on the board. So, Todd, you're up. 
Alrighty, this has to do with actors playing uh, the same role. Um, these two TV dads, Michael Gross of Family Ties and John Goodman from Roseanne, both played live-action Santa Claus. Frank Sinatra brought Roderick Thorpe's literary character of John McClane to life in, on the big screen in 1968. And 20 years later, Bruce Willis was, reclassed as, was recast as McClane. Side note. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. In both Field of Dream in both Field of Dreams co-stars, Kevin Costner and James Earl Jones used their talents to voice Ebenezer Scrooge. Kevin Costner as Scrooge is that would not get me excited even a little bit, but James Earl Jones, yeah. I know James Earl Jones has done some Santa voice work, but Scrooge I'm not familiar with. You know, I I wonder if he would make a good Scrooge. Like he has a good voice, but is it a Scroogey voice? Well, but I mean, Darth Vader, surely he could do Scrooge. <laughs> but would he? Yeah, because Darth Vader it does actually have sort of like an ambiguously British accent, a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But James Earl Jones doing a British accent, something about that just isn't sitting right. I don't know. I'm leaning toward that one being the false one. And I'm just going to lock that one in. That's my vote. I don't remember Frank Sinatra playing any John McClane character. Maybe it was completely different story, but yeah. Yeah, and I feel I feel pretty up on my diehard trivia, so I'm also going to go with uh, number two there as being the lie. Okay, time for the reveal. Well, the lie is... Um... Both Field of Dreams co-stars Kevin Costner and James Earl Jones have voiced Ebenezer Scrooge. Kevin oh. Costner's never voiced Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh -huh. James Earl Jones did. James Earl Jones did in a production called Bah Humbug. I see. So. Okay, so tell us about Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra <laughs> playing Frank Sinatra played uh, McLean in the movie, the 1968 movie, The Detective. The Detective. And, uh, oh. and then. Oh. Uh, um. And then uh, Die Hard was based on the book um, uh, Things Don't Last Forever, I think was the title of it. Huh. Yeah. I did not or know no that. I'm nothing have to nothing look up lasts that forever. Movie. Nothing lasts forever. Mm -hmm. So, again, this yeah. was another like borderline trick question because you lumped it in with someone else. All right, you guys are getting sneaky on me. We're getting sneakier and sneakier every time we play this game. But anyway, I still got it right. So, I'm, I'm happy that I got a point. <laughs> All right, Carrie, you are up. Okay. So this category is animals in kids' picture books about Christmas. Okay. So the first statement is Jim Flora, a commercial artist famous for his album covers for Columbia and RCA Records, also wrote and illustrated a children's picture book called Kangaroo for Christmas about a kangaroo named Adelaide who is Catherine's Christmas present sent from her uncle Dingo. And the second one is Lyle at Christmas is about a city dwelling crocodile named Lyle who lives in a bathtub in a house with the Prim family. Lyle's best friend and cat Loretta runs away because she is tired of her owner, Mr. Grump having the holiday blahs. And the third one, in the Bernstein Bears and the Runaway Christmas Yarn, Mama drops her yarn ball and it rolls out the front door. 
Brother and sister chase it, but it keeps rolling. Along the way, they meet one of Santa's reindeer who's gotten lost. Well, what I like about this question is that two of those exist, and like, because they all sound like they could actually be children's Christmas stories. And so what that means is that Carrie has invented at least one viable idea for a, a children's <laughs> Christmas story. The Berenstain Bears, I that's one of those things that's just... It's in pop culture. I'm sure that I've read at least one book or seen one special, but I don't remember anything about any Berenstain Bears stuff at all. Like, I just, you know, they're recognizable, but not memorable for me anyhow. And Mm -hmm. that concept that you described sounds kind of lame. So I kind of hope that one's the fake one, that a ball (laughs) of yarn just runs away. The alligator that lives in a bathtub or crocodile litter, that sounds pretty awesome. So I hope that's true. Yeah, the Bernstein Bears one was rubbing me a certain way, too. I, you know, I used to be big into the Bernstein Bears. That was what my parents read to me as a kid, but that was 25 years ago. So what kind of Christmas adventures they've gone on since then is the only t- hesitation I have there. The the kangaroo one sounds familiar. It seems like I've heard mm. that before. Maybe on Christmas book review. I can't remember now. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> but I'm thinking. I think I'll just go with the one with the alligator, just to to, to pick something different than the than the other ones. Okay. All right. So uh, I think we've all locked in our votes. Yeah. I, I think it's the Bernstein Bears one. Yeah, I think so too. Well, you are correct. Oh. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and I was trying not to laugh when you said it's pretty lame because my son helped me come up with the idea. <laughs> so now I'm going to have to tell him that was lame. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now I realized I just said that Carrie came up with a viable Christmas and then I, I said that that was the, the bad one. Okay, so I'm sorry that I called your idea lame. <laughs> That's okay. okay. But I figured I couldn't make that one too hard because there are thousands of yeah. Bernstein Bears books now. So, sure. I mean, and they have like a dozen different, at least a dozen different Christmas ones. Right. And and they're pretty good. They're not lame. So, yeah, <laughs> I agree. It is kind of lame. <laughs> so one and point just, for uh, Chris and Mia for that question. Yes. And Lyle okay. is part of a series of Christmas, or actually just books about Lyle the crocodile who's a city dwelling crocodile lives in the bathtub pretty that cool sounds pretty awesome I'm gonna check that out <laughs> all right Chris it is your turn all right uh for my second category I'm doing Lego because that was my favorite gift to receive as a kid on Christmas and my first statement is in April 2014 Four people in Arizona were arrested for stealing $40,000 worth of Lego from multiple stores in the area. In 1998, Lego planned to sell a set named the Polar Express featuring a train and Santa Claus, but were threatened with a lawsuit from author Chris Van Alsberg, which prevented the set from being put into production. The creator of Lego was a man named Kirk Christensen, who was originally a carpenter before he lost his business and began making children's toys. Okay. I know one of those is true for sure. You know what else I know about Lego, just to go off on a tangent? Because they're from, it's a Swedish company, right? Swedish or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there is a building. It's like literally under, it's like an underground bunker that has one copy of every Lego product ever made. It's like this strategic oh Lego reserve <laughs> that's actually guarded. <laughs> 
That's in case amazing. of apocalypse. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Uh, okay, good. but back to back to Chris's question. Um, goodness. So the thing about the branded, because they put out so many branded products, and it really depends on how the Polar Express was published, because usually the, the writer doesn't, like, own the copyright. You know, it's like the publisher does. Mm -hmm. So the lawsuit would come from them. So that, like, that was okay. the only red flag I heard. That made me say, hmm, I wonder if there's something yeah. there. Um, well, $40,000 $40, worth of Legos, that's quite a bit of Legos. Uh, I, know I don't some, know if you know, bought Legos lately. <laughs> I know some of them are pretty expensive, but still, yeah. you know, even at $500 a set, that's still. But over yeah. time, right, they could yeah. they could have been on a spree, you know, a little bit here, a little bit yeah, there. But, but you're that's right, true. that is an awful lot of Lego. Okay, and I hope this isn't another trick question where it's like, oh, no, um, it was more like, you know, $5,000, but the couples did steal all that stuff. Um, yeah, okay, so I, I'm just going to have to guess, but I'm I'm thinking it's that Polar Express one, just for the reasons I already said, but I totally hear what you're saying, Todd, about like, that does seem like an yeah. awful lot of Lego. To st that would have to be like, mm -hmm. like just a, a crime caper to make something like that right. happen. Okay, so what is everyone's mm -hmm. final vote? I don't know. I think I'm going to go for the the Polar Express one just because that's such a um, recognizable artist, Chris Van Allsburg. Mm -hmm. At least, I mean, I think he is. He's got dozens of children's books out, and I would be surprised if they tried to make a Lego set of it. I don't know. It just doesn't. It seems too distinctive to make a Lego out of. You know what I mean? Like, it would yeah. have to change too much. All right. And so, Todd, are you still sticking well, with the, um, the crime well, spree? Actually, well, I am actually going to go for the Polar Express one just as a strategic move uh -huh. since, I have zero, <laughs> since I have zero points. Yeah, and, gonna... uh, that way, either we all get a point or we all get zero points. You see, this is, there's a lot of there's a lot more strategy in this game than you might imagine, right? Because yeah, depending on when you speak up, right, you can leverage other people's reasoning and sort of get a sense <laughs> of where they're coming from. And that's right. why it's always like, you know, um, if you happen to know something is true, there, there's a pluses and minuses of actually admitting that you know that one of them can be eliminated. Uh, it's almost like right. that Monty Hall dilemma where it doesn't seem like it makes sense <laughs> that after you've been given some information, oh, your chances yeah. do increase if you change your mind. But it actually is true. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so I think we're all saying that it's the Polar Express, Chris. So what right. is the correct answer? Okay. Well, that one is 100% made up. You are all correct. <laughs> that is the lie. Oh. <laughs> so Todd gets one, yeah. Carrie gets one, and Brian gets one. I'm swinging all in right. both extremes. I got to find the happy medium, hopefully, on this last round. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Let's gonna we're gonna close out round two with this question from me about Christmas costumes. And by costumes, I mean, back in the day, wearing costumes at Christmas was actually like a big part of the celebration. Uh, Christmas itself used to look a lot more like Halloween than it does our current iteration. Uh, in fact, mm. you know, caroling was often done in costume and it looked a lot more like trick-or-treating uh, than anything else. Because after you sang a carol, you mm. were expected to receive a gift. Either they would bring you into the house and share some wine with you or give you some kind of gift. And even that trick-or-treat thing, uh, some kids would go caroling. And if you didn't give them a treat, they would, you know, like maybe throw an egg at your house or do like something along those uh, that equivalent. So um, mm -hmm. costumes 
we're really like, you know, there's a lot of history of costumes in Christmas. And so here are three statements, uh, only one of which is false. So the first one is at the French court in 1393, several uh, partygoers wearing flammable costumes caught fire when they came too close to flaming torches. Statement number two, in the Shetland Islands, the Skecklers, as they're known, were young men in straw costumes that went out and about on the 12 nights of Christmas. And statement number three, modern Christmas elves are said to have been inspired by the colorful costumes worn in 17th century Scotland during Christmas celebrations, made from used grain sacks and decorated with cowbells. One of those I'm 87% sure I know is correct. Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> The elves or is that in... well, just what you want them to think, Todd? <laughs> <laughs> the elves one is interesting. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of detail there. I'm wondering, yeah. but could be a red herring. The Shetland yeah. Islands thing sounds totally true. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm kind of mm-hmm. leaning towards the the elves because it's there's some detail there, but it's not the detail of the date. Yeah, I think I'm going to lock in on three as well with the elves. There's there's yeah. almost too much detail there for me, I think. Uh, I think I'm going to go with the first one, the flammable one. The flammable <laughs> one. Well, you shouldn't have done that, Carrie, because it actually was <laughs> the, the elves, and so that means... Todd and Chris get a point. Um, yeah, so these these revelers, and this was the court of King Charles, who also um, just barely escaped this fire with his life. And then afterward, from then on, they banned wow. uh, wearing costumes to parties. But, you know, back in those days, <laughs> things were lit by firelight, of course. And so yeah. some revelers decided, oh, why don't we show up as forest savages? That was their um, their costume. <laughs> um, and so, they, you know, they, they had these... They coated themselves in tar and put like feathers oh. and like, you know, just like leaves and all those. They were supposed to look like these sort of like forest creatures. And, you know, oh, you can imagine you stand a little too close to a flame and then that's that. Um, yeah. And there, there's the, the thing of Christmas costumes is, is actually really um, it's still done. I think in parts of England, there's like the mummers tradition where, you know, it's like put on mm-hmm. a play where everything is in costume. So it's yeah. still around, but you know a lot of our American Christmas um, is heavily influenced by the Victorian British Christmas. But then there's just certain parts of it that never came over, or or if they mm-hmm. did, they didn't really get much play, right? Like Christmas crackers and plum yeah. pudding, or things that you know you have to really, really be into that kind of stuff to make it part of your normal uh, Christmas. And mm-hmm. and even fruitcake, for that matter. Uh, for some reason, it was super popular here for a while, and then it became almost like a joke. I did a whole episode about that in case anyone <laughs> is interested. <laughs> so, okay, this brings us to the end of round two, and here are the total scores, right? For across all rounds, Todd has two points, Carrie has three, Chris is in the lead with four, and I have three. So uh, this is our, our last chance to, to win this. Um, let's see. And so that means, Todd, it's your chance to, or your turn right. to ask a question. We'll be talking about best-selling Christmas albums. Elvis Presley's Elvis Christmas album is the best-selling Christmas album all time, with 20 million copies sold worldwide. Kenny G surprisingly sits at number two worldwide with Miracle, the holiday album, with 7.3 million copies sold. Though Elton John is not on the top 10 of the worldwide list, his album Step Into Christmas is UK's number one seller with 3.2 million copies sold. Okay. 
Now, this is another one where, like, I do happen to know that Kenny G has one of the best-selling Christmas albums of all time. Is it Mm. number two, though, right? So that's where this is, like, what level of specificity determines whether we get this question right or wrong? Um, And let's see. I know Elvis probably also does have one. I mean, I think most people would hear that and say, oh, no, I thought it was Bing Crosby. But White Christmas was, I believe, released as a single. And he holds the distinction of the best-selling single of all time. Uh, or at least he did for a while. So that's another one of those, like, you know, w- mm-hmm. Elton yeah, this John. Is full, this, is full, this is full albums, not, yeah. not singles. Mm-hmm. So I could believe that. The Elton John one is the only one that sounds, and here's why it's, it feels uh, a little weird to me, is that, and I can't even think of, like, who else. I would imagine, like, Wham! Like, you know, but again, that was a single, like, Last Christmas. Like, one mm-hmm. of those would have been, um, like, the, the best-selling one and if it were the best selling in England, is 3.2 million copies sold even a good amount? I'm just thinking out loud here because, like in America, you know, like something has to sell a lot just because there are so many more people here to sell yeah. uh, records to to make it an impressive mm-hmm. number. But three million sold in England actually does sound pretty big. Yeah, that sounds. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's hard to say. I mean, and and then you have I don't know. You have all the like. Did he outsell like any of the members of the Beatles that have? Christmas albums or songs and that's kind of where I'm getting hung up on the UK side of things. Yes, Todd is proving himself as a master of deception in this game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought I knew that the first one was wrong because I was thinking Bing Crosby, but then you said that about the single. Yeah, and the Brian. Kenny G one, and again, like, are we thinking of all time or... Oh, no, um, Elton John is the only England-specific one. Because I know the other one, like the top, uh, I think we did something like this in a previous game, where it's like Mannheim Steamroller actually has two of the top ten spots for two of their different <laughs> albums. And it's always those ones. You're like, really? Mannheim Steamroller? Okay. And then you remember that, like, oh, yeah, though them and um, um, what's what's that one? The Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, you always get those confused. But I never listened to any of those, but I was like, okay, like I get that they're super, super pos- popular, even though they're like nowhere near my favorite. Yeah. Okay, well, I think just because it's time to vote on something, I'm going to just, Elton John seemed like it could be false, so I'm, I'm just going to lock in on that. Uh, I'm going to do one of these things that's not like the other, and I'm going to also go with Elton John. Huh. Well, I'm going to guess Kenny G, just because I really hope it's not true. <laughs> well, well, last last time you did that, Carrie, it didn't turn out well for you. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes this time. The false one is Elton John. Ooh, <laughs> Carrie. El- Elton John has never released a full Christmas album. Oh, okay. Yeah. You guys see Dolly Parton's putting one out this year? Yes. No. Oh, that. that'll yeah. be fun. Yeah, I can't wait for that. Yeah, I think it's been recorded since uh, 2016, but then they had some issues or something with it. So, I always like when they do all originals. Honestly, like Mm -hmm. I think like like John Denver's Christmas album is you know just like one of the best, like of all time, Mm -hmm. like best Christmas albums. And um, were there there weren't any standards on that? Were there? Is that the one with the Muppets? No, well, that that's all <laughs> full of standards. That's a good one, too. Right. No, the one that has, um, like, Aspen Glow and um, right. I can't I remember the other. Oh. I don't think there are any standards, best I remember. Yeah. I don't have a 
track list in front of me. Yeah, Aspen Glow is just a gorgeous song, mm-hmm. and that dude, like his, there was uh, yeah. no one had a voice like that guy. He was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. but that's the thing, I'm like Dolly like... Parton. I don't want to hear her singing like, or maybe singing Silent Night would be cool, but I don't want to hear her yeah. singing like Frosty the Snowman or Rudolph. I kind of want to hear her right. doing her thing with her, yeah. you know, her just like her Smoky Mountain kind of stuff. Yeah. Hmm. I like it when they split them about half and half. You know. Yeah. That way they can pick the standards that really suit their their style and their voice and things like that. See, that's the key. If there's a song that mm-hmm. just really, really goes with the aesthetic of that singer, then it makes sense. Like mm-hmm. there was one um, Boys to Men put out a Christmas album where most of it was pretty terrible, but they did this uh, one version of Silent Night, where it's like you know just this mm-hmm. gorgeous four part harmony. You know, it's just it's mm-hmm. beautiful. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. So we'll, I'm really looking forward to that one. That's probably the one that I am looking forward to this year. Um, okay. So anyway, I guess that was that question. So, Carrie, your <laughs> turn. Okay. My last question is all from a book called American Christmas Cards that I have not reviewed on my Christmas book review podcast yet, but I will soon. Uh, It's really interesting. I recommend it if you're into Christmas cards at all. So the first statement is, candles were the most common Christmas card motif in the first half of the 20th century from 1900 to 1950. This correlates with the rise of electric light being installed in the American household. Once electricity was the norm, candles were thought of as old-fashioned and timeless. And the second statement is about poinsettias. Probably all of you know that poinsettias were named after our first American ambassador to Mexico, mm-hmm. Joel, Joel Roberts Poinsett. And he was also an amateur botanist and sent home cuttings of the red-leaved plant growing in the wild. That's how it got to America. And the part, so that part's true, definitely. But the part that may or may not be true is the family of a German immigrant farmer in California has been responsible for a large commercial or large percentage of the commercial production of poinsettias since the 1920s. And in an ironic twist, most of the plants are now grown in Guatemala. So it's back in Central America where it started. And the third one In Dickens' The Pickwick Papers, there are several descriptions of traveling coaches in winter that inspired Christmas card illustrations of families traveling by coach to meet for the holidays. One such set of early Christmas card designs with Dickensian Christmas coaches, that's a mouthful, was recently unearthed by Sotheby's or, and was auctioned by Sotheby's for $6.2 million. Okay, now, before we start talking this one out, so I hope this is another one where, like, that last one is, it was true, but I'm going to say it was false because it wasn't $6.2 million. It was, like, $1.1 million or something like that. So <laughs> I'm assuming that none of that is true. Now, I do happen to know one of them is definitely true. Uh, and so I'm wondering whether or not there's any advantage in tipping my hand. Uh, or pretending to tip my hand to throw you guys off. <laughs> but I do happen to know that Paul Eck is a German-born botanist who now uh, is, he and his family are responsible for producing poinsettias. 
-hmm. their family, you know, for three generations has owned one of the largest poinsettia grow operations in the world. And it was based here in America. So I th I'm very confident that that one is totally true. And so I'm just helping you guys out now. So, so now it's down to 50-50, right? <laughs> um, okay, so that leaves then the, the Pickwick papers. And so, again, the, the question we're, we're assessing is whether or not a card inspired by Dickens recently sold for six million bucks and that the other one was that candles were previously the most uh, common. So now the thing is, I'm assuming that we're talking about America here. Because yeah, this is just American Christmas okay. cards. Because in England, this is another really interesting thing about Christmas cards. Uh, the first commercially available Christmas cards almost never depicted Christmas. It wasn't until much later that you'd see snow or Santa Claus or wreaths or anything like that. It was always like flowers or young ladies in spring dresses walking down the street or some of these bizarre things like, you know, inanimate objects coming to life, you know, like the dish running away with the yeah, spoon. Yeah, the kind vegetables. Of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What's his um, name on Weird Christmas has a whole bunch of those on his Instagram. Those are great. Yeah, Craig Kringle. Shout out to Craig Kringle yeah. if you're not following his uh, Instagram or Twitter or Tumblr. I'll put a link in the show notes to that because he curates a really nice collection of those kinds of things. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but yes, all of those are British. We're not talking about American Christmas cards. I, I, that sounds like it could be true enough. Um, so it really is a coin yeah. toss. I don't, I'm, I don't know. I'm leaning towards the candles being the false one just because it lacked a little bit of the detail that the other two's had. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Chris? I was going to go in the same direction. I was leaning towards the candles as well, both for the, the lack of description, but also kind of what you guys were saying. I feel like the the the, the topic of the Christmas card was, was different in that time. Candles Candles just mm -hmm. don't seem to fit the bill. Okay, I think we're all going to sink or swim together on this one because I'm going to join you guys. So we're all saying, as our final answer, that it was the candles on Christmas cards. So, Carrie, what is the correct? And by correct, we mean incorrect one. <laughs> <laughs> the lie is the Dickens Christmas cards. <gasps> oh, <laughs> another, oh, my goodness. So we Got have hit a hat trick. Three fool em in one game. Man. I'm going to edit in a sound effect in post right at this moment. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's interesting. I did a, an episode last season about the history of the Christmas dinner that we eat. You know, we always eat, you know, turkey stuffing, mashed potatoes. But, you know, like, why? You know, like it had to there's got to be some reason that we did mm -hmm. that. And a big part of it was that um, and it had to do with turkeys becoming more available and Victorian families getting larger because infant mortality rates were going down. Um, uh. But the way that you would get turkeys to market was you put them on a stagecoach right. uh, oftentimes, <laughs> you know, because the alternative was like you'd walk them there. And by the time they got to market, they'd be really thin <laughs> from the walk. Um, oh, or good. if you lived in the in the city or if you lived in the country, I forget which one it was. If you lived in the country and wanted to send a turkey to the city or vice versa, you'd send it on a stagecoach. Because, uh, you know, back in the day, like the rails were just sort of getting up and running. Um, and like that was how stagecoaches worked. They were like the, the bus lines of the day. You know, they would just sort of like roll no. through and you could you could put something on it to deliver to friends and that kind of thing. So, yeah, stagecoaches <laughs> and Christmas, that that could be an episode one day because there's a rich history there. <laughs> yeah. But good for you, yeah. Carrie, for fooling us <laughs> <Yes>. all. <laughs> yes. Well done. All right, Chris, your last question. Okay, so my last category is going to be Christmas directors, so people who have directed Christmas or Christmas-related movies. 
First statement is, despite the part of Kevin in Home Alone being written specifically for Macaulay Culkin, director Christopher Columbus still insisted on auditioning more than 100 kids for the role. Number two, writer-director Shane Black is known for setting many of his movies during the Christmas season, but he has gone on record to say that his actual favorite holiday is the 4th of July. Finally, John McTiernan directed the first Die Hard movie, but he did not return to direct the sequel, Die Hard 2, Die Harder, which was also set on Christmas Eve. Ah. Okay, now one thing, Mm -hmm. if Shane Black is who I think he is, he's not American, right? You know, I'm not sure (laughs) offhand. I know a lot of his filmography, but I don't know his nationality. He's in a lot of crime movies, isn't he? Yeah, so Lethal Weapon, um, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Iron Man 3. Not exactly a crime movie, but... (laughs) I might be thinking of someone else. See, this is where I'm at a huge disadvantage because I just do not watch a lot of movies, uh, even Christmas movies. Movies just kind of aren't my thing. Um, (laughs) So I'm I'm really just like going to pretend I know what I'm talking about here. So, And I also wonder if... Home Alone came out after... Oh, no, that was that was his first movie, right? I was thinking Macaulay if it were... If he had already put out a movie, yeah, like oftentimes, you know, that they would write a movie for a star, yeah. you know, to like make some bank. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah but if they, that was his first movie, then maybe not. No. Um, um, John Hughes wrote it for Macaulay Culkin because of his role in Uncle Buck. Mm. Uh, specifically, specifically the scene where he... Inter- uh, does like the 20 questions to yeah, yeah. John Candy's girlfriend through the mail slot in the door. Hmm. Um, okay, so we have, mm-hmm. it's the uh, 100 auditions. Shane Black doesn't like Christmas as his favorite holiday. And what was the third one? The third one was that John McTiernan directed the first Die Hard movie, but did not return to direct the sequel, Die Hard 2, Die Harder, which was also set on Christmas Eve. I see. All right. Yeah. I've I've never seen Die Hard. Um oh, wow. or Die Hard too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I I think I've seen Home Alone, like maybe. Yeah. Wow. Or maybe like pieces of it. Um my goodness. Boy. I I really I'm just going to wait could, to hear what you guys say and then I'm probably just going to latch on to <laughs> one of you. I I could see all those being correct. I mean John Hughes did write that for Macaulay Culkin, but I could see them wanting to, you know, uh, have other kids come out and try out for the part just in case. Mm. And I think I did hear something about Shane Black. Not, you know, he was asked why he set so many at Christmas, and it was he had a different reason other than him liking Christmas so much. And then I know the director of Die Hard changed the 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 bad guys from terrorists to robbers because he don't he doesn't like terrorists and Die Hard 2 is more of a terrorist bad guy movie than anything so that could have hmm. been why he didn't return I don't know I'm I'm stumped I, I'm going to lean towards Home Alone just because I knew John Hughes was so impressed with Macaulay Culkin on Uncle Buck that I don't see them going out and, and trying that many different kids out when they already had one in mind yeah, and I don't know enough about mm-hmm. the film industry to know, like, is 100 auditions standard? Like, is that a lot? Is that a little? Uh, 
I it sounds like it. a lot. It does sound like a lot. I'm going to go with that one but, just because I don't know what else to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I seem to remember that there was a different director for the Die Hard, the second Die Hard movie. So I'm going to guess that one's true. All right, guys, I think it is perhaps the time for rumination has come to an end and it's time to lock in our votes. Uh, I'm going to go with the, the Home Alone one. I think, yeah, Todd, you are too. Alone. Gary, yes. what do you say? Uh, I'm going to go with it because Todd sounds like he has good, <laughs> good movie knowledge <laughs> about that. Which means that if one of us yes. is wrong, we're all wrong. So there is at least a two in three <laughs> chance that Chris is going to fool us all again. So, Chris. Yes. Right. Well, I hope you're not a... Uh, too upset, but I have fooled you all again. Oh, <laughs> oh man. I'm going to need two sound effects. The <laughs> Shane Black <laughs> statement was false. That was completely made up. I have no idea what his favorite holiday is. And he, and Todd, <laughs> Todd, Todd, you're all right. There is something he, there is, there was one thing I found was that he has been on records, like giving his reason for why right. he sets things at Christmas, but he hasn't really come out so forthright to say, this is my favorite. Right. Mm. Yeah. So Carrie's least is, is uh 4th of July, your least favorite holiday Carrie, or you just don't like it in general? Um, I think it's tied with new year's Eve just because of all the drunk people and the noise. Mm. <laughs> Todd, what's your least favorite holiday? Uh, my, my least favorite holiday is Valentine's day. Todd. Uh. Well, I talked about it. I talked about it on my uh, my podcast a few months back. It's just I'm just not ready to be done with Christmas at the time, and then you have all these red decorations, (laughs) and plus two when you go into the store the day after Christmas to get all them good deals, all the Valentine's candy and stuff's already out. You know, no one no one ever talks about Valentine's Day creep or anything like that, and it's like you know so. So when yeah. you see it, you know Christmas is over. So it's kind of it's kind of just oh. got that, uh, you know, it's just kind of got that uh, that lucky place on the calendar that make makes it my least favorite. It'd probably be whatever holiday fell in February. You I know, see. So, I mean, I'm not an enormous fan of Valentine's. I don't say it's my yeah. least favorite. Probably yeah. my least favorite is St. Patrick's Day uh, because oh. I. I'm from Boston, and uh, for many oh, years wow. I lived in a neighborhood called Jamaica Plain, which is very close to South Boston, where the big St. Oh, Patrick's no. Day festival is, you know, it's like really, really big. Um, yeah. And the whole thing is like, you know, for to celebrate St. Patrick's Day, you drink, uh, which yeah. is like, I have Irish heritage, you know, and like a lot of people in my family, I think like third generation Irish on one side. And uh-huh. it seems to be the one cultural stereotype that is still completely, totally okay for most people. To be like, ah, oh, those <laughs> Irish, they sure do drink. Like, it is the, I don't, I can't think of another example of what, that is completely 100% socially acceptable mm-hmm. to make jokes about drunk Irish people. That's funny. Chris, what's your least favorite? I'd have to say Halloween. You know, it's something that Ooh. I liked as a, oh. I, I liked a lot <laughs> as a kid, but as an adult, it just doesn't do anything for me. Yeah, Halloween's a clo- Halloween's a close number two for me. The only thing that gives Halloween the nudge is that means we're closer to Christmas. Once you there get you over that Halloween, <laughs> yeah. once you get over that Halloween speed bump, that means uh, it is full on Christmas after that. So. <laughs> but isn't it fun to take out your kids all dressed up in costume? Uh, I'm I'm sure once I have not, kids, not after four kids, it isn't. <laughs> 
the first couple were fun, but then it kind of got to be a hassle after that. And... <laughs> well, I think holidays have turned into a, a divisive topic. None of us agrees on what is the worst holiday. <laughs> but at least we all agree on what's the best. That's what brought us all here today. That's and so right. let us now close this game out with our final question, which has to do with Mrs. Claus. Okay. Um, first statement. While Mrs. Claus does not have a commonly accepted first name, the first attempt to give her one is from a 1918 ad that ran in the Saturday Evening Post in which Santa is shown as referring to her as Trixie. Number two, a 1914 one-act comedic play entitled Mrs. Santa Claus Militant has Mrs. Santa Claus running rogue and stealing the sleigh while Santa sleeps because she got fed up with not getting any of the credit for the hard work that she does. Or is it number three, a 2019 pop song called Mrs. Claus features, among other lyrics, you think it, uh, who do you think it is keeping that man off the naughty list? Well, I think Trixie sounds like a stripper name, so <laughs> I, <laughs> I think I'm going to have to go for that one being the lie. Oh, well, that was a common name back in those times. Wasn't um, uh, Ralph Cramden's wife on the Honeymooners named Trixie? No, was it? Was it? I, I, I don't know. I'm going to have to look that but up. But I just think it's always kind of a, always been kind of a flashy name. You know, it's not like yeah. Millicent or something more innocent. I like Millicent. Well, Trixie. yeah, Millicent yeah. is Tri good. But. Millie, Trixie. Trixie uh, sounds like could be one of the reindeer. Yeah. Or an elf. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, I shouldn't be talking during your deliberations because, or or should I? <laughs> <laughs> there he goes again. He's, or he's, should I? Twenty nineteen song, Mrs. Claus. That must have been one that got away from me because I I sure don't remember it. A lot of plausible options. Hard to hard to nail mm -hmm. it down. The the second one, the play, is one of the things that I want to be true, but think is false. I would love for that to be true. <laughs> <laughs> What year? What year did you say that play was again, Brian? Nineteen fourteen. Hmm. That would be right around women's suffrage, wouldn't it? So, I suppose it oh, would. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a good. Po that's a good point. Yeah. Well, I didn't say I whether it was in England or or America yeah. or elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a typical American. I think the world revolves around the states. So, unless <laughs> <laughs> otherwise told, I just assume America. <laughs> I'm. I'm going to go with the song because it's it's kind of like a, Chris said earlier. It's kind of like not like the others. And I you think that's a lot the of false Christmas, one? I think it's the false one because I listen to a lot of Christmas music and I just don't remember coming across the song last year about Mrs. Claus. Okay. Carrie, what's your final? Hmm. I think I'm still going to say Trixie. Okay. Chris? I'm going to, once again spread the board here and uh i'm gonna stick with my gut which is number two which is something i think is false but will be more than happy to learn is true okay, so that <laughs> means that only one of you can possibly be correct and that person is carrie oh. so it, there is there is no such ad referring to mrs claus as trixie uh there have been many attempts to give her a first name including lucy and and a few others too but uh there isn't a commonly accepted one which means that yes there there is a one-act play from 1914 called mrs claus wow. militant uh which also means that since it was 
produced in 1914. It is now in the public domain, so we are free to reenact it uh, (laughs) as we please. A future Christmas past episode. There you go. I would love to do that. Like one of those old-time radio plays. Oh, yeah, that'd be cool. That would be fun. I'd love that. Um, All right, so I think we've just decided that we're all doing that. Uh, And then... And the song um, Mrs. Claus, it, it really is a song by these two singers named Tiffany Alverd, Alverd and Tiffany Houghton. Um, I, it's, you know, it's a pop song. It sounds like the kind of pop song that would be on the radio. I, I'm always loath to uh, criticize anyone who, who does creative work and puts their heart and yeah. soul into something and releases it. Uh, with that said, it's not the kind of song I would listen to, but I'll put a link in the show notes if anyone wants to check it out. Some people might yeah. like it. I'll listen for sure. And so what that means is at the end of the game, Todd is on the board with a respectable two points. Uh, Carrie, <laughs> Carrie ended up with four points total. Uh, Chris appears to be our big winner with six altogether, and I Ooh. came in tied with yeah. Carrie for four. So Chris, <laughs> as a first-time player, I don't want to say we'll chalk it up to beginner's luck because you executed a lot of skill, but yes. Chris, congratulations for being a winner great. for this edition of Christmas Past's Two Truths and a Lie. So I'd like to thank my guest here, Carrie Mercer from Christmas Book Review, uh, Chris from Yuletide TV, Todd from Christmas Clatter. Thank you guys for playing, and I hope you'll join us again soon. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> thanks. Hey, thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed that. Did you play along with us? If so, how did you do? I'd love to know. You can drop me a line anytime at christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com or reach out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And if you haven't yet joined the private Christmas Past Facebook group, now's as good a time as any because we celebrate all year round. I'll be back again before you know it, and until then, let me remind you as always, and for the very last time, that Christmas Past is produced in sunny San Mateo, California by yours truly, Brian Earle. If you're enjoying these episodes, maybe there are other people in your life who could also use a dose of Christmas spirit, so why not help more people discover the show? It's as simple as telling a friend about it or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. These are quick and painless ways to show your support, and they really do make a big difference. If you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, I'll even send you a Christmas Past sticker and a handwritten Christmas card as my way of saying thanks. Message me for details about that. Until next time, when I publish my first episode from the all-new Christmas Past Headquarters, stay safe and healthy, look out for one another, and may your days be merry and bright.